We're going to get into God's Word today, but before we do, just kind of as a little intro here, I want to tell you a little story. Um, a few years ago, Rachel and I went on a vacation together. We, uh, we got on a plane, we flew, we got off the plane, and uh, when we got off the plane, we got on one of those little like taxi van things. And uh, I kind of got in the front. This, this taxi guy was going to take us to the, the condo where we're staying. So I sit in the front, and uh, Rachel gets in the seat behind me, and you know, there's other people piling in. And uh, the driver and I start engaging in conversation, and he asks me, he says, hey, what do you do for a living? And I said, well, you know, I'm a pastor from Ohio. And he looks at me kind of suspiciously, and he's like, a real pastor? <laughs> at a real church? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah. And he's like, did your church actually teach, you know, the Bible? And I'm like, yeah, we actually do. And so uh, we proceed into this conversation, and then he's like, you know, pastor, I got a question for you. What do you think about animals? And I was like... I, kind of, I didn't really know what to say, you know, they're, they're, they're fine, I, I didn't really know, um, but he's one of those guys who wasn't really asking a question, he just kind of wanted to make a point, and so he started to tell me his thoughts about animals and things, and he proceeded to tell me that he believes that the Bible teaches that animals are divine beings who bear God's image, and so uh, I'm, I'm kind of anticipating where this conversation is going to go, and I'm thinking he's going to tell me, like, we should all be vegetarians and never, you know, eat meat. So, you know, he proceeds to tell me that he eats meat all the time. And that's because of what Jesus meant when Jesus said that we should eat his flesh and drink his blood and we would have life. Okay? Uh, it's how, you know, in his mind, that was how we got closer to God, you know, <laughs> people behind us in the seats behind us are like looking at me. I can see them in the rear view mirror like, they just heard I was a pastor. Rachel's like nudging the seat behind me like, you've got to say something. And so I tell this guy, yeah, you know, that's, that's not really what Jesus meant when he said that. And uh, this guy just keeps insisting on his ideas. And, uh, you know, I'm just praying that lightning doesn't strike the van because of blasphemy that was coming out of this mouth. But the point is, just to get your attention, honestly, the point is, is that uh, the Bible does not teach that animals are divine beings. It does teach that humans bear God's image, not animals. And we're going to talk all about that today as we get into our study of Genesis and we talk about the origin of animals and man. Okay? Today we're going to continue our study through the book of Genesis. Genesis is all about origins. We've talked about how the, the book of Genesis gives us our origins to, to many things. It gives us the origins of the world, the earth, uh, gives us the origins of mankind, mankind's sin. It gives us the origin of nations and languages and the people of Israel and God's uh, covenant promises, which ultimately bring his redemptive plan to the earth, right? Genesis gives us the origins of many things. We, like we mentioned last week, we have to remember that Genesis was written down by Moses. Moses was writing it out uh, to give to the Hebrew children, who would later become known as the Israelites. They were a people at that point coming out of slavery from Egypt. They had been enslaved to Egypt for hundreds of years. Through that time, of course, Egyptian teaching and indoctrination would have been kind of put upon them, including the Egyptian beliefs about human origins and where humanity came from and all the false gods that were associated with that. But of course, the people of Israel were to believe in the one true God. And so God gave Moses Genesis to give to the people because God is setting the record straight about our origins in the book of Genesis. Now, the truth is, like we mentioned last week, that people in our culture today can be very confused as well. 
Many people today grow up in worldly systems and in places that really teach anti-biblical principles when it comes to human origins. So God didn't just give Genesis for the Israelites, God gave Genesis for us so that we can know um, the reality, the truth about our origins. God gave Genesis to set the record straight about our origins. Today we're going to look at uh, the rest of chapter 1. Last week we covered verses 1 through 19. Today we're going to look at verses 20 through 31. And here's how I'm going to approach this message today. Uh, I'm going to talk through this in three sections. I want to talk about history, then about God, then about us. Okay. Three questions we're going to answer. What does the te- text teach us historically? Second, what do we learn about God theologically? And then third, how does it apply to our lives practically? That's how we're going to work through it. So we're going to start with the text and answering the question, what does the text teach us historically? So let's remember what kind of occurred in verses 1 through 19, things that lead us up to verse 20 today. Verses 1 through 19 of chapter 1, we saw how that the Bible teaches that God is the creator of the world. Uh, We asserted last week that to accept biblical teaching, uh, we must affirm that God is the creator of the world and that we should reject any other teaching to the contrary. We are to worship him as our one true God who has existed eternally throughout all time. And that is why in the beginning he could speak and create the world. Genesis 1 tells us that God spoke and created the world in six different days. Last week we covered day one through four of those six days. We saw that uh, on day one, God created light and separated it from the darkness. On day two, we saw that God created the atmosphere, separating the waters above from the waters below. Day three, we saw that God made the land and the seas and the plants and the trees. And day four, we saw that God made the celestial bodies, the sun, the moon, and the stars also. Those are the first four days of creation. Today, I wanna cover days five and six of creation. And we're gonna see that in verses 20 through 31. Here's what verse 20 says. And God said, let the waters swarm with the swarms of living creatures and let birds fly above the earth across the expanse of the heavens. So God created the great sea creatures and every living creature that moves with which the waters swarm according to their kinds and every winged bird according to its kind. And God saw that it was good and God blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply and fill the waters and the seas and let birds, and let birds multiply on the earth. And there was evening and morning, the fifth day. So on this fifth day, we see that God makes these swarms of uh, sea creatures, right? So this would include things like, uh, you know, fish and shrimp and octopus and whales, sharks, right? Shark, which I told the first service, it occurred to me this week, guys, sharks existed before the fall. Like, how did that work? Sharks existing before the fall, like, I told my, my wife and, and kids uh, yesterday that sharks before the fall must have kind of been like that, uh, that character from a shark tale. Lenny, right? Lenny. Some of you know Lenny. He's a vegetarian shark, right? So uh, that, it had to be kind of like that before, right? So God creates these, uh, these great sea creatures. Um, it includes the, the, you know, the crazy stuff that lives in the bottom of the Mariana Trench. All the weird looking fish like angler, angler fish. Remember these guys? Weird light on the top of their head. They look like they're demons. You know, we got the, the fang-toothed fish. Look at this next guy. I mean, that thing's in the ocean. 
Right? That, that first anglerfish lives at like 1,500 meters deep. This guy can survive down like 5,000 meters deep. And then if you keep going down 7,000 meters deep at the bottom of the ocean, you'll see a bunch of these little guys. Look at these sea spiders. Like nobody wants to know that that's there, right? They're just crawling around everywhere. All right, God made the sea creatures. Let's take that off the screen because we don't need to see that anymore. Okay, so uh, I totally lost my train of thought. Oh yeah, so uh, God not only makes the sea creatures, but he also makes um, birds that can fly across the skies. So now we're talking about, you know, sparrows and bats and cranes and eagles. You know, one of the most fascinating birds to me is the tiny little hummingbird, right? It's, I read this week, the hummingbird's wings can flap 70 times per second. That's incredible to me. It also includes, God's creation also includes not just the tiny hummingbird, but the huge ostrich, right? Who, uh, who has wings, but doesn't even use them to fly, right? They just... They just fend off their enemies by batting their wings, right? So God made the winged birds, it says. Uh, so it says that the Lord blessed them and told them to multiply. So by telling these birds and fish to, to you know, multiply, that means that God created these animals as grown and functioning creatures. This is, this, my point is this, like this creation story isn't the creation of some single-celled organism that eventually developed over millions of years and then matured into a complex being that could multiply. Like it's right here. He creates great sea creatures. He creates grown birds. They are mature enough at the point of creation to multiply into the, the swarms that fill the, the sea and uh, you know, the clusters that fill the air. These are mature creatures that God has made. And he tells them to fill the earth that he has created. So you know, we talked about how the Genesis creation days really are about God forming and then filling Right? So he has just formed the skies, and then he fills them with birds. He has just formed the seas. Now he fills them with, uh, with fish and sea creatures. Eventually, he's going to make you know, animals that are, and people that are going to come into the earth, and they're going to consume the plants that he's just made. And These are all the things that are going on on the fifth day. God creates fish and birds. Now, in verse 24 and following, we see that also on the sixth day of creation, God made land animals and man. So starting in verse 24, here's what it says. It says, and God said, let the earth bring forth living creatures according to their kinds, livestock and creeping things and beasts of the earth according to their kinds. And it was so. And God made the beasts of the earth according to their kinds and the livestock according to their kinds and every, everything that creeps on the ground according to its kind. And God saw that it was good. All right, so again, we have God speaking, and through the divine word of God, animals uh, from the earth, you know, animals come from the earth, and notice that it says that these animals came according to their kinds, which is an important small detail here, but God creates animals according to their kind. In other words, animals, you know, they're going to reproduce according to their kinds. Dogs don't reproduce cats, Right? Tigers don't reproduce bears. Pigs don't reproduce elephants. They, they reproduce according to their kind. That's the way that, the, that God made the world to work. There's not this uh, evolution that creates different species. Okay, and this is, this is an issue. 
that we have to work through in our minds, especially in today's culture. It says also here that God made livestock. So livestock, when you read it in scripture, are domesticated animals like sheep and goats and dogs and things that kind of could be kind of uh, used and utilized within a home or an area where people live. It says that he makes creeping things, right? So uh, bugs and insects and reptiles, all the stuff that's gross and low to the earth, right? There makes creeping things. And then it says that he makes beasts of the earth, right? God makes beasts of the earth. So now we're talking lions, tigers, and bears. There you go, okay. Uh, Beasts of the earth. In 2005, um, I had the opportunity to go to Africa, and when I was there, um, we went to this wildlife area, and it was so fascinating to there to see, like, wild elephants, to, to hear lions, like, roar, right, out in the field, not too far away, to be able to see the heads of giraffes creeping above the trees. Like, it was amazing to see that. In 2016, Rachel and I got to go to Alaska for our, our 10th anniversary. And uh, man, while we were there, we saw all sorts of these creatures that God has made. We saw whales, and we saw sea lions. Uh, I told the first service, at one point, this big giant moose came and like was just slowly crossing the road in front of us, just like he was some big rock star that needed the attention of the world. And uh, Rachel and I decided that we were going to nickname him Moose Springsteen, right? So we, we started nicknaming animals after that. We saw, a, uh, we saw a grizzly bear a little bit later. We decided to name it Baron Bradshaw after the one and only Jaron Bradshaw who is on staff with us now. So, uh, you know, cool. We got to see all these wild beasts. Um, but these are the beasts that God has made. You know what else would have been included in the wild beasts that God made? Dinosaurs. Okay, now... Talk about a hot topic. Everybody's getting ready now. Many, many, many people believe that dinosaurs kind of ruled the earth long ago, but that they went extinct for a period of time, and then men arrived on the scene. The problem is that Scripture indicates that man and dinosaur were created on the same day. These wild beasts, which we're going to see in the next verses, that on the sixth day, man is created right alongside the wild beasts. So the big question is, okay, come on, how could these dinosaurs and man live on the earth at the same time? And if you want to know the answer to that, you got to come back next Sunday. Because, like I told you guys last week, next Sunday we're going to hit several of the hot point questions that come from chapter one, and next week's message is kind of just going to be more of a, kind of addressing the big obvious question stuff. So we'll, we'll do that. I hope you come back next Sunday. We'll talk about dinosaurs. But on this day, God created land animals and he also created man. So look at verse 26. Verse 26 says, um, Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over all the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So verse 26, 
God speaks once again, you know. God said, Elohim said, like we, we talked about last week. And this time, Elohim says this, let us make man in our image. Okay, God is speaking plural language. What's that all about? Here's what it's all about. This is another indicator that in the beginning, God existed as Trinity. One God, three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I don't want you to be confused. This is, this is not God saying, hey, animals that I just made, big creatures, let us make man in our image. He's not saying, you know, you're in on the project here, wild beasts and animals. All right, that's not what's going on. It's our Trinitarian God, one God, three person, who is there in the beginning. They are, the persons of the Godhead are communicating together when humans were created. And our Trinitarian God made mankind in his image. I want, to also, I want you to also notice another little detail here. Notice also that God made mankind male and female. And the male and female were told to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth, right? So that means that they had to be mature enough to do so. In other words, God created mankind with age, just like he did with animals and he told them to multiply. God created mankind with age. God created the animals with age. And here's why that is an important detail to notice. It's because if God made man with the appearance of age, don't you think he could have made the rest of the earth and the rock formations and the trees and the plants and everything else with age? He could have done that, which is why we might have things that show up today looking like, you know, they've been around for, you know, long amounts of time. Perhaps it's because God created them with age. Again, another thing we're going to get into more detail about next Sunday. But God created mankind, male and female, to bear his image. What does it mean to bear the image of God? What does it mean that, God, that mankind is made in God's image? A couple things that I want to share with you about being made in God's image. The, the first thing I want you to see is that being made in God's image makes us distinguished from the animals, right? I know this is a very difficult fact for some of us to believe, but humans are different than animals, right? I know that we, we love to call our pets our babies sometimes. They're different from us, right? Animals and mankind are different. They, we don't simply act on instinct like they do. You know, we can act from logical thinking and reason and that type of thing. And because of that, mankind is really the only creature that can come to know God and have a personal relationship with him. Animals aren't going to be able to process things like conviction of sin and repentance and faith in Christ who came to redeem the world from sin, right? Animals aren't going to be able to grow spiritually, right? This is a distinction for mankind alone. Being made in God's image, first of all, means that we're different from animals in the sense that it allows us to do rational, logical, cognitive thinking, which is different than animals allowing us to know God. Second thing it means, and if we look at the, the context of the passage, to be made in God's image also means that man has dominion over the earth. That's why God says what he says in verse 28. He tells humans, multiply, fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. So, just like God has dominion over all the universe that he has made, the sun, moon, stars, all the galaxies, everything. just like God has dominion over that, God has given us dominion 
over all the things on the earth. It's like God told mankind, you know, the, the earth is, is yours to steward. So research its mysteries and use its resources and explore it and understand it and harness it and develop it, right? Being made in the image of God means that we have dominion over the earth, right? Which ties right into verse 29. Verse 29 goes this way. It says, and God said, behold, I have given you, talking to the people, humankind, behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food and to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food and it was so. Well, let's answer the obvious question. It, it looks like mankind you know, was created to be vegetarians in the beginning. You know, it looks like that's the way that God made it to be. The plants and the fruits were given to them for food. Now, just as a little side note, once we get to Genesis 9 and we've seen the events of Noah's flood and all of that, God changes this and he says directly to mankind that they can eat of the beasts of the field for food. But at the beginning, people were, you know, to be herbivores like this. And so, you know, if there's any kids in the room, I just want to say your mama got it right when she tell you to eat your vegetables, right? It's, it's not just healthy for you. It's very biblical. So mama, hold, hold your ground, you know? Hold your ground. Don't give it up. Um, that's verse 30. Let's just wrap up by looking at verse 31. Um, verse 31 says, Then God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. So God completes his works of creation. He kind of brings it all to a climactic conclusion there by creating mankind who would bear his image in the world and he said that it is very good. On the first five days of creation, he made everything that he made, and he said that it was good. But here, after he makes male and female, humankind, he says that it is very good. And when we get to chapter two in a couple weeks, we'll see that God actually says for the first time that something is not good. We'll get to that in chapter two. But here he looks at his creation and he said it's very good. So on the sixth day, God created land animals and mankind. Now, in future weeks, we're going to dive deeper into chapter two, which really takes us uh, maybe with a, a closer look at day six of creation, the creation of humanity. But today, this is where we're going to stop. We've looked at the fifth and sixth days of creation. We have learned from the text historically. Now, like I said last week, the Bible doesn't just give us text so that we can learn history. The Bible, God has given us the Bible so that we can know him, right? So that we can know God. So the next question we have to answer is, what do we learn theologically from these 11 verses? What does it teach us about God? And really it teaches us, it emphasizes the same two things that we saw last week about God. So I just wanna briefly mention them here. The first one is it teaches us, it reiterates that God is creator, just like last week's text, you know, this emphasizes the creative work of God. At this time, we see that God the creator created creatures. Animals and man were created beings. We, guys, we are not self-existent. We don't bring ourselves into existence. We didn't come about by some cosmic accident that just happened to occur over time. We are the purposeful, intentional creation of God. 
There, there, is, you know, there is one God, and we are not him. We are not him. He made us in his image. We don't get to make him in our image. So we recognize God as creator. Second thing, same thing we mentioned last week, God exists in Trinity. Our God is one God in three persons. This eternal relationship of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. We saw it last week when we read Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God, Elohim, plural, created the heavens and the earth. We saw it again this week when in verse 26 it says, And God, Elohim, said, Let us make man in our image this language is, is referencing the Trinitarian relationship um, amongst the Godhead. So, our passages from last week and this week emphasize the two same things theologically, but we can draw very different applications practically from the text. So, let's answer this last question. How does today's text apply practically? First practical application. Guys, can we pause and behold the God who created this world. You want to live this out? Recognize, stop, slow down, still yourself. And reflect on the magnificence of the God who can create this world. Verse 30 says, behold, behold the world that God has made was very good. That word behold means to stop and pause and gaze. Take a moment to pay attention. So, man, far too often we just rush through this life busy as can be. Go, go, go. But if we just stop and pause and behold, we will see that God is so very good and the world that he has made really is amazing. Take a moment to stare at the stars at night and reflect on the size of the universe. Take a moment to look out at the ocean waves and just imagine the depth of the sea. Take a moment to be fascinated by the fact that he can create a bird whose wings flap 70 times a second. Take a moment to not just interact with people, but to look in the eyes. What an amazing part of God's creation, the eyes of another human being. Take a moment to behold the God who created this world. Part of his creation is the creation of humanity, which ties into the second thing that I want to talk about today with application, and that's this. Guys, we must treat every human being with special dignity as one who bears God's image. We must treat every human being as someone with special dignity who bears God's image. If you are a Christian who affirm that God creates human beings bearing his image, then you must believe that every human life has dignity and value and worth. 
Every life. This, this affects all sorts of things. It, it affects the way that we interact with people from various ethnic backgrounds. You know, we're going to, if we believe that people from all ethnicities are image bearers, then we're going to stand against ethnic injustice and racial discrimination and things like that. We're going to welcome and value people of all different backgrounds and skin colors into our church. And we're not going to do it just because it's kind of culturally trendy or politically wise. We're going to do it because of God. And his image is born in every human being. You know, it's going to, if we believe in the image of God, it's going to affect the way we, we think about people with various levels of abilities, you know? People who struggle with disabilities. We're not going to look down on them. We certainly aren't going to devalue their life and become some wicked Nazis who are willing to terminate their lives. Uh, this is the type of stuff that happens when we don't embrace the, the Imago Dei, the image of God that is present in every living being. It affects how we are going to treat people of every age. So when we believe that every human being bears the image of God, we're like, we don't look down on people because they're, they're old or elderly. Right? We, we do what the Bible says, which is to honor and respect our elders. To look after those that are aging and feeble and weak. We look after the young as well. Guys, we, we don't treat children as a liability. We treat them as a blessing from the Lord. Which means we look out to make sure they're not being abused or neglected or mistreated. And it certainly means that we stand against the abortion of preborn life. Because every child that is aborted is the abortion of an image bearer. So we are to treat people of every age and every ability level and every ethnicity with dignity and value and worth. Why? Because they are made in God's image. So I hope you believe that humanity bears God's image. And just as a little side note, you know, if you believe that, this, it poses another problem for people who want to simultaneously affirm the macroevolutionary process while also saying that mankind bears God's image. Because here's how. If you try to do this, if you try to say both can happen, mankind can bear God's image and macroevolution has occurred and mankind evolved from animals, then here's what you have to do. You have to answer the question of when exactly did people become people who bear God's image? Was it when they could finally... Stand upright and walk? Was it when they were 51% human, 49% ape? Was it like 100% when they, when they were 100% human, but then when they're 99% human, they don't bear God's image at all? Like, you have to answer that question if you try to uphold both. It's massively problematic to try to believe in the evolutionary process and simultaneously affirm that mankind bears God's image. You're going to have to wrestle that and work that out on your own. All humanity is valuable because all humanity bears God's image. Now, third thing that we can apply practically from this text. Guys, we must affirm that God created two equally valuable but distinct genders. Verse 27 says this. So God made man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. 
So this is a, a clear distinction among mankind right here. It's the distinction between being male and female. It's the distinction of genders. This gender distinction is made up, it, it's made by God. It's not up to mankind to determine our maleness or our femaleness. The way God has determined this to be is by our biological makeup. There are clear differences in the DNA and the bone structure and the body parts and the functions of males and females. Males were not made to be females. Females were not made to be males because God told mankind, your purpose is to multiply and fill the earth. So God has made us biologically in an intentional way to fulfill that mandate. Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. This is part of God's created design. And it may not be popular now, but this is the way God made it to be. Our world, our world is so confused. Our children are growing up with confused leaders. Future generations, what, what confusion will be here then? The world is, is lost and broken, and it, it really does need the truth of God to stand on. God has created an orderly world. Right? He's, he's made things intentional the way they are, and man, our world can get so confused. Christians are to be a voice of truth in the midst of confusion. But man, you know, it's not just that the world is confused and broken. There's so many confused and broken people right here inside the church. We are part of the brokenness problem, which really ties into the last application point that I want to share with you today, and that's this, that our imperfect image bearing is meant to lead us to Jesus, the perfect image bearer. Yes, God created mankind to bear his image. But ever since the fall, which we're gonna read about when we get to Genesis chapter three, ever since sin came into the world, no human being bears God's image perfectly. We are broken image bearers because of the problem of sin. And sin is a problem that affects us all. And sin kind of affects us all in two ways. It affects us all kind of like a disease, that sin is within each of us, and it, it makes us have broken beliefs and broken motivations. It, it's like the disease that lets our, our, brings our bodies to failure, so we age and we get wrinkles and we eventually die, Right? So sin is like a disease, but sin is also like choices where we make decisions that are sinful, where we, we choose to cross the line that God says we ought not cross. We choose to transgress, as the scripture says. We miss the mark. We make choices that fail. We are sinners who do not perfectly bear God's image in this world that he has made, but praise be to God, there is one who perfectly bore the image of God. And his name is Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Hebrews 1 verse 3 says that he is the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of God's nature. Jesus perfectly bore the image of God in this world. But Jesus didn't just 
bear God's image, Jesus Christ also bore our sin. He bore our sin when he went to the cross of Calvary. He bore our sin in his body on the tree. He died paying the penalty of death for no sin of his own, but for the sins of broken image bearers like me and you. So that those of us who believe in him could have forgiveness of our sin and one day be fully restored and by God's grace one day perfectly reflect the image of God once again in his kingdom. I hope that you have trusted in Christ, the perfect image bearer who bore your sin on Calvary. Lord, I wanna stop right here and just praise you for your word, praise you for this portion of Genesis chapter one. Thank you that you are the way, the truth, and the life. We're in this world, Lord, where we can oftentimes be so confused, people can be misguided, things can get stated so loudly or repetitively that we can be wavering in our mind on really what is true and what's not, or we can unintentionally sometimes be even buy into worldly thinking that is against you. So Lord, make us people of your word. Make us people of your word, the truth. Let our church, let your church around the world be the pillar of truth that you have called us to be. So Lord, um, I pray for that. I pray that you would let us not just be people of truth, but also, Lord, people who remember our need for grace. Lord, we are broken image bearers. Lord, oh, we so poorly reflect you sometimes in this world. We do not live on this earth in the way that you in, in the way that you would perfectly call us to be. We cross the line of transgression. And so, Lord, we thank you for your grace. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his sacrifice on the cross, his perfect righteousness applied to us, his substitutionary death given for us. So Lord, uh, as we continue through Genesis and we work our way through the rest of this wonderful book that you've given us, I pray we would worship you as creator, staying humble because of our own sinfulness, thanking you for your covenant promises that led you to send Jesus for the salvation of our souls. We thank you and we praise you in his name. Amen.